This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, reactions to Tucker Carlson parting ways with Fox News. Find out what media analysts think about his departure and what could come next. Protests lead to arrests at the Montana State Capitol. A raucous crowd demonstrates in support of a transgender lawmaker punished after making controversial remarks. Netflix is investing $2.5 billion in South Korea's movie industry. But that's not all President Yoon's getting from his U.S. visit this week. Find out what our guest has to say about the renewal of a 70-year-old bond of friendship. And the fentanyl crisis in California. Governor Newsom is calling in the National Guard. We hear from an addiction recovery advocate. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. And I'm Tiffany Meyer in for Evelyn Lee. Today is Tuesday, April 25th. To start off with, we have some breaking news. U.S. President Joe Biden announced his re-election campaign by video today. The move sets the stage for a potential rematch with former President Donald Trump. The announcement by Biden comes four years to the day after his 2020 campaign launch. He enters the race with extremely low approval ratings. Already the oldest president in history, he also confronts persistent questions about his age. Biden would be 82 at the start of a second term. Biden's launch video emphasized freedom while calling out so-called MAGA extremists for allegedly trying to challenge freedom. The video also references so-called book banning and abortion access. Next, we look at the big shakeup in media yesterday. Fox News announced Tucker Carlson is parting ways, and CNN host Don Lemon was fired. The departures took many by surprise. NTD's Jeremy Sandwork brings us more reactions from media analysts. It's not yet clear why Fox and Carlson parted ways. The Washington Post cited anonymous sources saying Fox CEO Lachlan Murdoch and Fox News CEO Suzanne Scott decided to fire him Friday night. The LA Times reported the call came from Fox owner Rupert Murdoch with input from company officials. I think Tucker Carlson was, uh, you know, had become a liability to the company, a financial liability, obviously. Carlson's executive producer, Justin Wells, is also out. If you think about Tucker Carlson and Fox News as a couple, they seemed really solid. Um, like nobody anticipated this. None of the media reporters that I talked to on a regular basis knew this was coming. They all found out at exactly the same time. And um, that is what makes it so much of a shock. I will say that it is shocking. Like, but Fox has done this before. Fox fired former news anchor Bill O'Reilly in 2017. That was over sexual harassment allegations. The network didn't miss a beat. Carlson was moved up into the primetime slot. Some industry analysts speculate he could choose to monetize his personal brand through social media or his own platform. The traditional news organizations aren't the only way to reach a mass public anymore. I don't think we've certainly heard the last of him. You know, there, there are a few places that he could land. Uh, you know, maybe Donald Trump, maybe Truth Social will start a, you know, a, a digital video channel of some kind. Others aren't so sure that would be the best move for the popular host. 
When Donald Trump left Twitter and went to Truth Social, his audience did not follow him, right? Truth Social is, is a minuscule amount of the people that he was speaking to on Twitter. Um, Newsmax does not have nearly the distribution that Fox News has. So it, it would be impossible for them to get the type of audience that Fox News has amassed. I think a lot of examples of somebody trying to do this and failing. Now, I, I would suspect that he might try to um, build on these this sort of triumvirate of books and podcasts and you know, something that's more of a subscription base that goes to him without a news organization around it and monetizes personal brand. We'll be back on Monday. In the meantime, have the best weekend with the ones that you love, and we'll see you then. Tucker Carlson Tonight was the most watched program on cable news every weeknight, with the highest rating in the key age demographic of 25 to 54. It averaged over 3 million viewers per episode last year. Fox shares dropped 4% within seconds of the announcement of the host's departure, but regained some ground by the end of the day. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And as for Don Lemon, the former CNN host posted on Twitter yesterday that he was shocked when informed of his termination through his agent. Lemon said he thought after 17 years at CNN, someone would have had the decency to tell him directly. CNN disputed his claim in their own tweet shortly afterward. The company says Lemon was offered an opportunity to meet with management, but instead released a statement on Twitter. And last in the media shakeup was from NBC Comcast, which announced yesterday it fired now former CEO Jeff Schell. That was over a sexual harassment allegation. At least seven protesters were arrested at the Montana State Capitol yesterday. The rowdy crowd was there in support of a transgender lawmaker who they say has been silenced. And today's Daniel Monahan has the story. House Speaker Matt Regeer repeatedly called for order. Our guests will come to order. Then summoned help with clearing the crowd. Sergeant of Arms, will you please clear the gallery? Members, will you please go to the side of the chambers? Representative Zoe Zephyr held her microphone in the air as the demonstrators chanted, let her speak, and the police arrived. The dispute started last Tuesday when the House was debating proposed amendments to Senate Bill 99 banning cross-sex procedures for minors. Zephyr was suspended from speaking on the floor for making controversial remarks. If you vote yes on this bill, and yes, on these amendments, I hope the next time there's an invocation, when you bow your heads in prayer, you see the blood on your hands. Zephyr also had some strong words while advocating for the use of drugs that block puberty. If you are forcing a trans child to go through puberty when they are trans, that is tantamount to torture. Senate Bill 99 and the amendments passed, but House Speaker Regeer cited the comments by Zephyr as a breach of decorum. He says Zephyr must issue an apology before being recognized again. Zephyr has not apologized and since then has not been recognized to speak during floor debates. Montana resident Katie Spence disagrees with Regeer's decision. I cannot abide by this. I elected her so she could come to Helena to speak for me, and now we are here to speak for her since she has been silenced. Montana Governor Greg Gianforte says people who struggle with their gender identity deserve love, compassion, and respect. However, he strongly criticized the idea of performing gender transition procedures on minors. Gianforte called such procedures permanent, invasive, life-altering medical and surgical procedures. The seven protesters arrested were charged with criminal trespass and released without bond. 
Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Netflix is doubling down on its investment in South Korea. The company said today it plans to invest $2.5 billion over four years. That will go towards Korean TV shows, movies, and unscripted shows. South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol arrived in Washington yesterday for a six-day state visit. He met with Netflix co-CEO Ted Sarandos. President Yoon welcomed the investment as a major opportunity for South Korea's content industry and Netflix. Netflix says four out of ten most-watched non-English TV shows are Korean. South Korea's entertainment industry has seen a global boom in recent years and is referred to as the Korean wave, or Hallyu. South Korean survival drama Squid Game remains Netflix's most-watched series of all time. Meeting with industry people is only the warm-up of President Yoon's trip to the U.S. Topics in the spotlight are Taiwan, Ukraine and nuclear deterrence. He's set to meet with President Biden amid rising tensions from both China and North Korea. Here to help break down what's at stake in this partnership is Grant Newsham, retired Marine colonel and author of When China Attacks. Grant Newsham, thank you so much for joining us. Good to have you on the show. Oh, glad to be here. So South Korea's president is actually going to be in the U.S. this week. He's going to be stopping at the Korean War Monument and also a summit with President Biden later this week. What can we expect out of this U.S. trip? Well, it's going to at least solidify the relationship between uh, the Biden administration and Yoon's conservative administration. Uh, and this really is it's significant, especially if you look back a couple of years when a leftist, very far leftist administration was in charge in South Korea. And the relationship between the U.S. and Korea was very cold. In fact, that administration in Korea was more pro-North Korea and pro-China than it is pro-U.S. So it's quite a relief for the United States to have a sort of a better administration in, in Seoul. And I think the Americans will go all out to show just how much they value the relationship and also uh, try to um, send uh, President Yoon back with some uh, some benefits, uh, particularly on the trade front. And on that note, it seems, you know, this this trip comes on the heels of Yoon's recent interview with Reuters, where he was talking about Taiwan. And he said the Taiwan issue is not simply an issue between China and Taiwan, but like the issue of North Korea, it is a global issue. And Beijing was quite irked by that. They see Taiwan as an internal affair matter. So what do you make of his statement here? Well, he's sticking his neck out. Uh, China was furious, as they always are, when anyone suggests that uh, they might that China might uh, be delimited or restrained in any way in its dealings with Taiwan. Uh, they would have liked Yoon to have either said he agreed with China or to else keep his mouth shut. He did not. And that took some nerve for him to do it. Uh, so uh, China is not going to be happy. But from the American perspective, it's very useful, important to have uh, the, the South Koreans on America's side. And this is something that, that Yoon offers. And by side, I don't mean uh, saying, OK, what you know, what do you need our army to do? What do you need our military to do? But rather just being supportive of the United States, uh, aligned with us politically and helping out where they possibly can. And China uh, is a just it's a huge threat, even more to South Korea than it is to us, uh, geography being what it is. Uh, but South Korea offers some very useful uh, things, particularly in armaments manufacture, 
manufacturing, uh, which can uh, be very useful in helping us restock our arsenals. And there's some talk even of South Korea helping out uh, Ukraine uh, with some actual military hardware and, uh, and ammunition. Uh, so we'll see where this goes. And Grant, expanding on that, there are reports that during this summit and this trip to the U.S., the U.S. and South Korea are set to increase their nuclear deterrence. That's in the face of North Korea and China's rising nuclear arms. So how do you read that deterrence? Well, ultimately, it depends on American nuclear weapons being used to defend South Korea if necessary. And that, of course, is in large part, it's a promise. And you have to weigh how much uh, one can rely on another country's promises. Um, but also, the does matter where we have nuclear weapons stored and how we're able to use them as well, particularly as North Korea's nuclear uh, capabilities and delivery systems uh, just get better and better, and not to mention uh, what China's got. Uh, so the South Koreans are, however, it said, thinking about nuclear weapons of their own. And that's, a, I would say, it's a natural thing. Uh, anytime a country relies on another country to backstop its defense to this extent, you always wonder and whether or not you should have sort of something in reserve just in case. And it does seem as though there's a fair amount of uh, popular support in South Korea for developing uh, South Korean nuclear weapons. Grant Newsham, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you very much for having me. And Kevin, the Philippine president, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., is also set to meet with President Biden next week. It will be his second trip to the U.S. as president. Marcos says he plans to bring up a slew of matters aside from military treaties during the talks. That includes agriculture, energy, and supply chains, among other issues. He'll be traveling to London for the coronation of King Charles III after his trip to the U.S., and then to Indonesia. Both sides in the Sudan conflict have agreed to a three-day nationwide ceasefire. The agreement between the Sudanese Armed Forces and Rapid Support Forces followed intensive negotiations. The pause in fighting will allow humanitarian corridors to be opened and grant citizens and residents a chance to reach hospitals and safe areas. It will also enable the evacuation of foreign diplomats and aid workers, among others. Officials hope the latest pause in the fighting will serve as the basis for a permanent end to the conflict. The fighting has killed hundreds of people and left thousands of foreigners stranded in the country. And coming up, two men posing as FedEx drivers rob a 74-year-old store owner at gunpoint. The NYPD is asking the public for tips. Several thousand jobs will be cut at Disney this week. The company begins round two of its three planned layoffs. We have that and more just after this break. Welcome back. North Dakota is banning nearly all abortions. Republican Governor Doug Burgum signed a bill yesterday that bans the procedure throughout pregnancy. The ban has exceptions during the first six weeks of gestation. Abortion in the state will only be allowed in cases of rape, incest, or a medical emergency in those early weeks. The law will take effect immediately. North Dakota no longer has any abortion clinics. The state's only facility shut its doors in Fargo last summer and moved across the border to Minnesota, where abortion is still legal. The clinic's owner has a lawsuit challenging North Dakota's previous abortion ban. They see the law as unconstitutional. The new ban is also expected to face legal challenges.
And in other government news, a bipartisan congressional group from Nevada and California made a request to the Biden administration yesterday. They're asking that funding be fast track for a bullet train line. The tracks would go between Las Vegas and Los Angeles along Interstate 15. Traffic jams on the interstate can stretch for 15 miles near the Nevada-California line during weekend or holiday travel. The high-speed electric trains could potentially cut the four-hour trip to Las Vegas in half. Brightline West is proposing to spend more than $10 billion to lay the tracks. The private company is seeking nearly $4 billion in funding from the Biden-backed federal infrastructure law. The lawmakers say the train would boost the economy and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. They expect it to create 35,000 construction jobs and around 8,000 permanent jobs. But not everyone's on board. Some farmers, ranchers, and other landowners object to the idea. Many don't want a train traveling across their land at 200 miles per hour over 30 times every day. A 74-year-old store owner was robbed at gunpoint in broad daylight by two men posing as FedEx delivery workers. The NYPD is investigating the robbery that took place last Friday in the Soho district. Surveillance footage shows two men approaching the store owner as he was opening up for business. They claimed they were there to deliver a package, but they were not real FedEx workers. They pulled a gun on the owner and demanded he open the safe. They did not gain access to the safe, but did steal about $1,500 in cash. The family told local media they are concerned about bail reform and crime in New York City. Police have made no arrests so far and are asking for tips from the public. California Governor Gavin Newsom says he's calling in the California Highway Patrol and National Guard to assist with San Francisco's fentanyl crisis. NTD's Jason Blair spoke with an addiction recovery advocate. He's been pushing officials for over three years to take action on the issue. Here's the story. California Governor Gavin Newsom made a surprise visit to San Francisco on Friday. When he was asked in this video by San Francisco resident J.J. Smith what he's going to do about the city's fentanyl epidemic, he replied, quote, that's why we're here. On the same day, Newsom's office posted a release announcing, quote, an agreement between the California Highway Patrol, California National Guard, San Francisco Police Department, and the San Francisco District Attorney's Office to assist the city in its ongoing efforts to address the fentanyl crisis. I'm cautiously optimistic, but also I, I can't help but be a tiny bit skeptical uh, because, you know, a lot of the time when these types of announcements are made by a governor or a mayor, uh, uh, oftentimes they're kind of performative. Tom Wolf and others have been advocating for solutions to the city's open-air drug problems over the years. The issue seems to show no signs of slowing down with a jump of 40 percent in overdose deaths from January to March this year. The overwhelming majority of those involve fentanyl. Wolf said that since the announcement on Friday, he has seen and heard of an increase in drug busts happening, but there's still a lot to tackle. One in particular had uh, uh, a couple of pounds of fentanyl on them, and just a regular, just your standard everyday street dealer out on the street, two pounds of fentanyl. And so I just commented when that story came out that said, now multiply that by 500, because that's how many drug dealers are out here on the streets in San Francisco. And then you'll kind of have an understanding of how big this crisis has become. While details are still emerging on how the law enforcement collaboration will play out, 
Newsom's office did say that the focus will be, quote, dismantling fentanyl trafficking and disrupting the supply chain. San Francisco Police Chief Bill Scott said in a press conference on Friday that the city will not turn into a military state and the National Guard will be used in a way that aligns with the values of the city. And, quote, we make arrests day in and day out, but it's hard to hold ground and we need to get it under control. And that's exactly what we plan to do. Jason Blair, NTD News, San Francisco. Disney says it's laying off several thousand workers across the company this week in a cost-cutting move. The cuts affect its parks, entertainment division, and experiences and products division, as well as ESPN. This is the second of three waves of layoffs for a total elimination of 7,000 jobs. That's about 3% of Disney's global workforce. Chief Executive Bob Iger says the goal is to save $5.5 billion in costs. He says shareholders should start receiving dividend payments in February after a pandemic suspension. First Republic Bank expects to cut its workforce by up to 25% this quarter. The layoff announcement comes as the bank reported its total deposits fell 41% in the first quarter. That came even after a group of large banks stepped in with $30 billion to prevent the regional lender from failing. Without that cash infusion, deposits would have fallen by over 50%. The California-based bank said it saw a sharp drop in deposit activity after the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank last month. Depositors pulled out more than $100 billion, fearing the bank would be next to fail. That activity began to stabilize at the end of March and has since remained steady. First Republic has seen its share price plummet nearly 90% since March 1st. The drop comes as investors scrutinize lenders with a high amount of uninsured depositors, a response to the recent banking turmoil. Coming up, we've got a peek at what Chef Edward Lee is cooking up for tomorrow's White House steak dinner. The Bidens will welcome the South Korean president and his wife. Welcome back. Korean-American chef Edward Lee has unveiled the dinner menu for tomorrow's White House state dinner. The Bidens will welcome South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol and his wife Kim Kong-hee. Guests will start out with crab cakes and a yellow squash soup. The main course features braised beef short ribs with butter bean grits, sorghum glazed carrots and pine nuts. And the dessert is a deconstructed banana split with lemon bar ice cream, fresh berries, mint ginger snap cookie crumble, and ding dong caramel. Chief Edward Lee discusses the event. My mother was really excited. In fact, I think it's the first time she's been really proud of me in like 20 years. So <laughs> that was a good, that's a good thing. Uh, but you know, Korean mothers are very blunt. So she was like, don't mess it up. You got one shot. And I was like, okay, I think I got this. Food is diplomacy. Food is, is, is like sort of a, a welcome, uh, um, you know, gateway to friendship, to conversation. Wow, you know, that I've actually made japjae, the stir-fried noodles. And my own kimchi, I fermented it. Wow. Yeah. You'll, have to, you'll have to show me sometime. Yeah, they say you can even bury it. I didn't do that, but it was really fermented. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And actually, Edward Lee is also the author of Smoke and Pickles and Buttermilk Graffiti. He's also the owner of the restaurant 610 Magnolia in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm thinking of visiting it one day. Yeah, well, the chef earned the Emmy nomination for his role in the series 
the mind of a chef. Lee also recently wrote and hosted the feature documentary Fermented. We're going on the show with something that sounds a lot like a joke. A moose walked into an Alaskan movie theater last week. He helped himself to some popcorn before casually leaving. Surveillance cameras captured the moment the four-legged moviegoer entered the lobby, roamed around, and had a snack. The shop assistant seemed quite calm and started to film the animal. There was another person nearby trying to startle the moose away, but to no avail. According to local media, the moose arrived at the cinema in the evening and stayed for a few minutes and even ate out of the trash. I did not know that moose liked popcorn. Yes, well, corn, you know, corn is a favorite of deer. So, so I guess any version of corn, four -legged animals including go for popped. It. <laughs> right. Well, you know, there were actually a lot of deer on our property. We had about 30 moving across the range one time. And then they ran into the cornfield, probably because they were hungry. <laughs> Looking for actual corn. Yeah. Well, that's all from us on today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. So shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Tiffany Meyer. And I'm Kevin Hogan.